Alright folks, back again. It's myself, David Weirs. Joining me as always is my co-host, Michael Long. How's it going, Mike? Oh, you know. It's nice to finally talk again. Yeah. Uh, since we took the biggest month of the fantasy baseball year off. <laughs> well, some of us were on vacation and left the country, putting a bind on others. That, uh... Uh, Ho- Hawaii is not out of the country, my friend. You were in international airspace for more than five hours. That's leaving the country, in my opinion. I'm just saying, not to get technical, but you left the country, and then you returned to the country, and then you left the country and returned to the country again. I think we just learned that Weirs is a birther. (laughs) I'm not not saying that you needed a passport or something wild like that. I'm just saying... If something were to happen, you'd be in international waters. You wouldn't be in American territorial waters, right? Or, or, yeah. am, I, or, or am I just way off base and crazy here? I think you're way off base. Yeah, that that that's entirely possible. Well, in my defense, it's been like six weeks, seven weeks since we've done this pod, so all my whole world's askew. So that that's we're back. I, yes, we're back now, and we're gonna have a semi-regular schedule. It will be grand. You guys can roast us publicly on Twitter for when we don't, you know, come through for you, because we certainly deserve roasting, let's be honest. Uh, But today, like I said, we're back, and we've got a couple great topics here for you folks tonight. Uh, First up is we're going to be talking about some bullpens, but after that, you're going to want to stick around, because we're also talking some interesting trends. I know it's very early in the season, but... That doesn't stop nerds like Mike and I from kind of dissecting certain numbers as far as, you know, walk rates, things like that. And of course, as a quick refresher, this podcast is more designed for non-standard leagues. That is to say, specifically like holds on base percentage or leagues that it saves and holds, that sort of thing. So it's a little bit different than your average, you know, 5 by 5 or even a standard like Dynasty podcast. We have a little bit of different slant on things. As previously mentioned, we're going to start off with some bullpens, and both Mike's team, the Braves, and my team, the A's, are kind of in an usual spot with pens, but we'll get to our respective teams later. Uh, Mike, what was the first team that caught your eye that kind of had a unusual happening as far as, you know, reliever value in holds and saves formats? So the first team that I want to talk about is a team that had two guys who were probably drafted pretty much everywhere. Um but had a major shakeup in the the nature of their bullpen right before the season started, and that's the Astros. Um, so a lot of people paid a lot of money for Ken Giles at the beginning of the season. Uh, and then on the eve of the regular season, after a couple of struggles, um, it was announced that Gregerson was going to close and that Giles was not, which I think we had all been kind of assuming that because of the package they gave up, I mean, Vincent Velasquez has been unbelievable for the Phillies. So that, I mean, that that was a big trade for the Astros. We all thought Giles was going to close. They went to Gregerson. Gregerson's been pretty good so far. Uh, and Giles has had a fairly rough start. If you look at ERA and FIP, but it's basically because of home runs. Um, his home run five fly ball percentage in 2016 is 50%. 50. 
Um, for a little context, he had what in one of the most home run friendly parks in baseball last year, Philadelphia, probably a top ten home run park. It was an average of right around three percent for 2014 and 2015, and what like 115 innings. So this is very outside the norm for him, is what you're saying. Yeah. So yeah, and if you're listening to a fantasy baseball podcast geared towards non-standard leagues, I'm gonna go ahead and assume that you know that Ken Giles is good and that his Six and two-thirds innings in 2015 have not changed that. But what I'm saying is that if there's an owner in your league that drafted Ken Giles either in the 8 to 10 round range or if they paid 15 to $20 or whatever his price was in mid-March, kind of at its peak, that owner isn't getting what they thought they were. And people draft players for specific roles, and that owner is probably disgruntled because of Gregerson. Um, and then to add on to it, they're probably disgruntled because Giles is getting bombed right now. I mean, a 6.75 ERA, it, even though it's early, I mean, that frustrates even the most patient owner. So I think that if you're in a holds league, Giles' value has dropped incredibly but in my opinion going forward for the next five months of the season it really hasn't I think at the end of the season he's going to be one of the top holds guys um, going I think his his ratios and his numbers I mean like I say he's got a 230 xFIP so that's right in line with what he's been doing that's who he is he's striking out 13 and a half guys per nine Um, he's still Ken Giles I think it's worth checking in. Maybe you got a guy that's a hot starter. Uh, maybe you've got a a lesser reliever that has sort of like shishex off to a hot start. Just if the owner wanted saves and they didn't, they're not getting them from Giles. Just check in. So that those are the kind of situations that I want to talk about tonight. Are the situations where it's either the bullpen has shaken out differently than we thought it was, or it's a situation where a a guy who was kind of down the bullpen depth chart has been bumped up in the last week or two, whether that's injuries or whether that is um, just performance issues. And I think Gregerson and Giles are sort of the most high-profile one to look at. Mm-hmm. Now, just looking at the raw zips projections going forward for the rest of the season, I don't think it'd be unfair to say that Giles could actually outproduce Gregerson from this point forward, given the disparity in strikeouts per nine, because you said Giles is at 13.5 and and he projects for over 11k per nine, whereas Gregerson is at 7.2k per nine, and he's only projected by Zips to be 8.73 strikeouts per nine. That's a massive difference there. Their walk rates are probably going to be pretty similar. Uh, And if holds and saves are treated equally in your league, then I don't think it'd be crazy to say Giles has more value going forward than Gregerson. Do you think that's being a little optimistic for Giles just because I own him in one league? Or are my rose-tinted glasses not so tinted there? No, I absolutely think Giles is more valuable in the holds league than Gregerson is. There it is. The rare time that Mike and I totally agree on a player. Now, like you did say, though, this is probably the most high-profile, most prolific, you know, whatever wording you want to choose. But that doesn't mean it's 
by any means the only bullpen that's definitely worth you know a slightly closer examination. Um, there's actually a number of teams here, so uh, I'll throw the ball in your court here, Mike. Uh, what's the next uh, team up on the agenda? So the next one is a very similar situation to the Astros. It's just way less high profile, and that's the Blue Jays. So it's the same kind of deal where I think a lot of people thought uh, that Storen was going to start the season as the closer, and a large part of that was ARB stuff. I mean, if Storen has, I think, one year left on his contract, as soon as pre-ARB, we know that, that raw save totals drastically inflate the price going forward. The Blue Jays are frugal. Shapiro is known as, a, as an executive that just cuts costs and gives money to owners and all that stuff. So I think that played into how everybody thought the bullpen was going to shake out. Not how it shook out. As soon as the closer, he's been really good. Um, I think he's going to keep that job going forward. But Drew Storen is still a very good reliever. Brett Cecil is still a very good reliever. Those guys have value in holds leagues. If they're available, which Cecil might be, uh, Storen probably not again. But again, if 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 you're looking to get a a dominant relief core in a holds league, I think that starts with the holds guys. I think that you can build the best bullpen in your league cheaply uh, by picking up elite holds guys, and I still think Storen is that person. Mm-hmm. It should be noted that uh, there was an occasion where Ozuna wasn't available. I think he went 1.1 innings and then like one inning the day before that. So Storen was the guy who did get that solitary save option instead of Cecil, which did kind of surprise me because Cecil in the past couple of years, he did pick up a casual save here, casual save there, and does have you know back-to-back years where he pulled out five saves. Now that does pale in comparison to Storin's history, where you know he has a 43 save season back in the day in 2011 with the Nats, 29 last year. But I was somewhat surprised to see Storin get the nod, especially because Storin is kind of been hit lit up a little bit this year. Uh, he's been unfortunate in the batted ball department, but I do agree that both Storin and Cecil could be very good and mostly under the radar bullpen pieces, obviously in holds leagues or even non-holds leagues, just for their ratios alone. Yep. Definitely. Yep. Yeah, like I say, pretty similar to the Astros. Uh, worth checking in, trying to build those those sort of sustaining bullpens that are really going to help your ratios and get you a good leg up on on the holds category. I guess one more thing we should touch on, and we'd probably remiss not to, is that for a while we weren't sure if Osuna was going to be a starter or a closer. The Jays did a really good job of keeping uh, the general public in the dark about that. I thought they were going to send him down, stretch him out, that sort of thing, but that didn't end up happening, and... I mean, well, he he came out publicly and said, "I want to be a reliever. I like pitching a lot. I like that role." The adrenaline um, so, or something along the lines he said. Yeah. Yeah, which I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's seen you know people getting straight paid as a reliever, and they're like, "Man, this is a little bit easier. I'd much rather pitch seventy innings a year than a hundred and seventy. Just, yeah. I I don't know if I would want to be a reliever or a starter." I mean, obviously, I've had so many options, you know. Every team wanted to sign me out of high school, let me tell you. But uh, I turned them down to leave the glorious life of a podcaster, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Actually, you'd probably be hard-pressed to find someone with less baseball talent than myself, my co-host included. He's an all-star compared to what I bring. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but before we start talking about the glory days of our high school athletic achievements, we better get back on topic here. Um, between these two squads, uh, again, plenty of value there. But if we go even a little bit deeper uh, to a team that honestly might not have a ton of holds and save opportunities because they've been pretty bad and Arietta just stole their souls tonight. But you mentioned earlier, uh, well, privately at least earlier, that you're kind of fascinated, I guess would be a word, and feel free to tell me if I'm wrong. You're kind of interested, maybe, in the Reds bullpen. Is that kind of accurate, or is fascinated overstating your uh, interest level with them? Definitely. I did my usual preseason bottom-feeding closer trolling, so I uh, am a J.J. Hoover owner. Uh, not Well, not any longer, but... That's not like an JJ. intro to like AA or something. It's like my name's Mike and I own JJ Hoover. Like yeah, it, sounded, my, it sounded like an admission more than anything. My name's Mike and in holds leagues I take the bottom three closers. Like I own Fernando Rodney. I don't know how many places, dude. <laughs> um, but anyway, I also own JJ Hoover. He lost his job two or three days ago because he has been abysmal and he's been abysmal his whole career. JJ Hoover is not very good at pitching baseballs. Uh, I'm a Braves fan. He got traded for Juan Francisco, and the Braves actually, I don't know. That trade came about even, and Juan Francisco is bad at baseball. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that it becomes an interesting bullpen because there's not a whole lot of opportunity there. And so there's really only one or two people in that bullpen that's ever, ever worth owning at a time. And I think that because Singrani correct me if I'm wrong, got the save yesterday, or they had a save op- opportunity in Singrani, or maybe pitched the ninth. I don't know. I, I think that people's correct conclusion about their bullpen now is that Singrani is the guy, but he is not the one in holds leagues that I am interested in. The person who I am interested in in holds leagues is Caleb Cotham. And I think that in holds leagues – you really have to go after ratios and you really have to try and project forward any kind of thing that's going to happen. And I think Cotham is just, I think he's the most interesting pitcher in the bullpen. I think he's right-handed, which, uh, Eno Saris talks a lot with that helping. Um, he's got kind of average velocity, but, had some decent strikeout numbers. Well, yeah, some decent strikeout numbers recently in the minors. His minors numbers looks to me like he started. Yeah, this is backed up. He he was a starter for a bit and he had terrible strikeout numbers. Mm-hmm. And when he got moved to relief, the strikeout numbers went through the roof. Which hey, that happens all the time. That's really normal. So I think this is a guy that's going to be K per nine going forward. Um, I think it's where the ratios are going to be. And if you're going to take a chance on the Reds' bullpen, I like Cotham the most. And he's free. I mean, nobody owns him right now. If you want him, you can have him. If you've got a spot to to take a shot, I think Cotham's the way to go. Is this more of an endorsement on Cotham? Because you mentioned he's a right-hander and he can throw, you know, what does he have an average velocity? Yeah, low to mid-90s, he can sit with that, that's fine. Or yeah. is, is it more of an endorsement for him or kind of a knock on Singrani? Because in our pre-show, we both kind of agreed that Singrani doesn't really blow up our proverbial skirts, so to speak. Uh, he's, he's a lefty who struggles to get right-handers out, and that's that's not a good recipe, especially for a closer, right? Like, that just 
that's that's a hard niche to fill, I should say. It's really just more about the Reds. I mean, I, I just don't think there's a lot of I don't, I don't think there's a lot there, and I think that um, if you're gonna take a shot, then. Singrani Singrani's owned at this point, frankly, yeah. probably in a holds league. Because uh, he, uh, he was probably owned preseason in holds leagues. And I think that Cotham has just as good of a chance to have value in holds leagues mm-hmm. than Singrani does, and you don't have to pay for him. Okay. So. Very fair. Although, I guess, like you said, we're emphasizing that the Reds are. They're, they're just not going to be good. So, you know, yeah. 18 holds, 20 holds, similar number of saves, you know, uh, yeah, sure, we'll take it. But it's yep. more about the ratios and, like you said, the availability and the fact that he costs, you know, he's free or he's a dollar in your leagues or he's just a waiver wire guy. That is a serious factor as well. No doubt. Yep. No doubt. Now, does that just about do it for bullpens? Do we have another one that we're dying to talk about, or just one that a bullpen makes you kind of want to die? Because, man, my is bullpen has been... Whoo, buddy! How much time do we have tonight? Because it's it's certainly been a thing. Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll say it that way. Um, I'm, I'm sure not many of our, you know, one dozen listener... <laughs> you know, or however many, really, <laughs> really watches too many A's games. And I don't think I'm going out on a limb here saying that I'm probably one of the few fans who doesn't live in California that watches just about every A's game. And the bullpen in the, in Oakland has been more volatile than I would have imagined preseason, I guess. That's the best word that I could say. Because obviously, coming to going into the season, like... We signed Madsen, and we traded for Hendricks, and we got Axford, and we did this and that. But Doolittle was still kind of the heir apparent, even though he was hurt the vast majority of last year. People were kind of thinking, okay, yeah, it's probably going to be Doolittle, you know. Another case of, yeah, he's a lefty, but Doolittle pumps gas in the mid-90s, so that can be, you know, 95 from the left side. Yeah, that's uh, that's not too shabby. But currently, uh, Doolittle is not necessarily... Uh, the specific closer, because he has two saves, and Ryan Manson has six after tonight. So that is... That's a little interesting. And again, that doesn't mention you know, Liam Hendricks getting high leverage innings a little bit, even though he's been absolutely peppered by BABIP luck. He's got like a 550 BABIP or something like that. It's just... It's through the roof. But going forward, I'm pleasantly surprised at the raw value that there is in potential in Oakland, but again, if you're in a saves league, just, you know, a standard 5x5, you're probably looking at this bullpen with dread, but if you're in a saves and holds leagues, or saves plus holds, however you'd like to phrase that, I think there's a lot of value to be had here, because a lot of these A's arms, they don't walk many people, and they can miss bats, and that's basically what you want in a high leverage reliever. Um, I personally am probably highest on Hendricks going forward. Um, Madsen, I love his story, but he's 35, he was out of baseball for like three years, and I'm just super, super nervous about him as an injury risk going forward. So I like Hendricks. Uh, Long, I mean, I don't know how well you know, you know the elite core known as the A's relievers, but is there anybody who you like the most or you find the most not awful <laughs> that you'd consider picking up? 
Yeah, you can't pick him up, but um, I think Doolittle's still the guy to own here. Um, in saves and holds leagues, or just you're saying that as a blanket statement? Yeah, in holds leagues. Okay. I love guys that get both holds and saves. Mm-hmm. I just think that it, it they're both kind of a pleasant surprise. So I'm a Doolittle owner. I own him two different places, totally comfortable with it. He's given up. He's He's had some homer issues early in the season but those will calm down he'll be fine and again this sort of goes back to what i was talking with giles is that people build teams in the draft expecting certain things from certain players and even if those players provide value if they're not providing the type of value that the the owner expected at the beginning of the season maybe there's a deficit maybe maybe this doolittle owner is fed up because they thought they were going to get saves, not holds. And so it's a chance to just check in and say, hey, I'm going to offer you Latos. Or I'm trying to think of another player that I don't think super highly of that's had a decent start. I'm sure there's some outfielder that... (laughs) is off to a relatively good start that I don't think is going to do anything going forward and maybe upgrade the bullpen. Uh, I just think Doolittle is the kind of player that because of the role change and because of the homers like Giles, that's the kind of person that you can get in a two for one or that's the, that's those marginal increases that in holds league can make a massive difference. All right. So let's talk about one more bullpen before we head over to the hitters. And this was this was the bullpen to get. Um, if you're in a holds league, or even honestly, if you're in a standard league, all three of these guys might have been owned, and that's the Yankees with Chapman and Miller and Batonsis. And I think that the the one with the value that you could possibly think about, not yet, but in a couple of weeks, is Miller. And again, it's that. It's that window where the role changes that if you're in a holds league and you know that Miller is about to lose his closing job, I'm assuming still at this point that Chapman's going to come back and be the closer. Yeah, probably. It's just it's just worth checking in to see if if to see where that owner's at. If that owner needs some saves, you know, maybe you trade a mid-tier closer. Maybe you trade. I don't know. Um, let's take a look. Santiago Casilla, or you trade. I mean, Papel Bonds off to off to a huge start. Uh, although I like him pretty well, or Houston Street or somebody, and you try and get Miller because I said preseason Batonsis is my number one guy in hold leagues. Miller was close. Miller was probably top five for me. Um, I said, but I, I know I said preseason in, in holds and we're saved in holds are a separate category. I had Batasas and I had, uh, Kenley and I had Wade Davis, but Miller is right in that group. Mm-hmm. And it's because he has huge strikeout numbers. He has great ratios. The Yankees are pretty good. He's going to have a lot of opportunities. Um, Miller, when Chapman comes back because of all that, influx bullpen role type stuff um, and Girardi's pretty forward thinking Miller might not get used in a way that a fantasy owner wants 
wants him to get used. And I think there's your opportunity. It's going to take something he's definitely owned, and everybody knows he's good, but it's just, he and Giles and um, and the last player that I talked about to check in on. Oh, and, and Storin, I think, are the three uh, to whose value to check in on. Obviously, for different for different totals, but check in on on the Andrew Miller owner. See how he feels, or how she feels. I have to mention that both Patances and Miller have negative FIPS and negative XFIPS, and that is, whew, I gotta fan myself after that, because that's, I think that's pretty good. I've run the numbers, but I think a negative FIP and XFIP are pretty good. Anything to add on that front there, Mike? <laughs> I mean, they both went for 20 bucks in my holds leagues. That's, I was gonna say that's nutty, that's my knee-jerk reaction, but they'll probably provide that value back. I'm in. I'm in two auctions, and it was. It's me in both of them, and then another guy's in both of them, and the two of us just went head to head in both of them, because like everybody else was like, "Dude, they're not like, why are you bidding it up?" And we finished one two in the league last year, so a part of me wanted to be like, "Hey, if the two guys that won last year are doing this, maybe you should instead of saying why, you should take notes." <laughs> but <laughs> teaching classes over here, man. Take them to school. Yeah. Take them to school. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he's like I say, Miller's a t- Miller, Batansis, Chapman, Kenley, Wade Davis. Those are probably your top five relievers in holds leagues. Mm-hmm. Now, shifting kind of gears to the opposite of you know great relievers, we're gonna have uh, potential for some be- people to mess up those great relievers ratios. Now, again, it's early, small caveat supply, but there's been some. I would say notable trends already as far as plate discipline goes. Uh, as mentioned earlier, we do tend to focus on like OBP style leagues. So, sorry, high average, you know, low OBP type f- players. Nothing against you, but we just kind of we, we we enjoy OBP formats. We'll say it that way. Uh, I did go ahead and compile a list, and I'll make sure that I publish this on the on the podcast or on the website when this pod goes up. But it's basically. Every player who accru- who accrued at least 250 plate appearances last year and 30 plate appearances this year. Now, that caveat basically says, hey, sorry rookies who were called up too late last year, September call-ups, late mid-season guys. Sorry people who are injured this year, you know, like Chu, that sort of thing. But this does give a pretty solid list. I think it's over 150 players. Uh, yeah, it's over 200 players, actually. That kind of overlaps of, again, who met that threshold of 250 play appearances last year and 30 this year. And we've looked at differences in things like play in uh, play appearances like Z-swing, walk rate, swing and strike rate, and O-swing. And I'm going to toss it over to Mike now because you're the one who was pretty uh, excited to, to take a look at the O-swing differences. Is that correct? Yeah. So my theory here is that, you know, we're we're about mm, two and a half weeks into the season. We have a relatively small sample still. Um, I'm currently on Odubel Herrera's Fangraphs page, and I will tell you why I am on that specific player's Fangraphs page shortly. But Odubel Herrera has 66 plate appearances, so we're roughly... 10 12% into the season and it's not enough to make any wide swinging conclusions but I think on a per pitch basis we're getting to the point where things are beginning to show some trends and so 
the my theory is that the way that we could try and tell some players that we think are going to make take a step forward or already have taken a step forward in their walk rates and are going to continue that in it that because it's meaningful at this point are guys whose O swing percentage has changes has changed in these 60 some plate appearances and O swing for those of you who are not familiar is the percentage of pitches outside of the strike zone per pitch FX that a player swings at. So obviously Z swing, which I'm sure we will also mention Z swing is pitches inside the strike zone that a player swings at. So Z swing percentage is good. You want it to be high. O swing percentage is bad. You want it to be low. And that makes logical sense. You're supposed to swing at strikes. You're not supposed to swing at balls. You make good contact on strikes. You make bad contact on balls. Um, so we wanted to go and we wanted to look at the guys whose O swing percentage has changed the most. Mm-hmm. Now, just as a quick kind of refresher, crash course, whatever you look at, uh, I think we've kind of safeguarded ourselves from the small sample size issues. Uh, at least, you know, we said the caveats. But as per the Fangraphs library, strikeout rate generally stabilizes somewhere around the 60-play appearance mark. Now, the walk rate does take a little bit longer. That's right around 120 to 150 plate appearances, depending on, you know, looking at the library, looking at other sources, that sort of thing. But like Mike said, we're close enough that we can begin to see kind of the snippets, the the granular parts of, you know, plate discipline, particularly in swinging strike rates and O-swing and Z-swing, just because those are what directly lead to things like strikeout rate. I also want to talk what stabilize means real quick. I think that this is commonly misunderstood, and it doesn't mean that when, like like Weir's just said, that um, when a player has 120 play appearances, all of a sudden their walk rate is the only thing you should look at going forward. This is a scale. Mm-hmm. If after 10 play appearances somebody has a 30% walk rate, that's not all that meaningful the hundred the hundred and twenty plate appearance mark is where it tips from being more predictive to look at what they've done this season to what they were projected to do at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. But that is that's a slow moving cursor. It's not like you go from one side. It's not like at hundred and nineteen plate appearances you're only looking at the projection and at hundred and twenty one plate appearances you're only looking at what they've done so far. It's a range, and that 120 number for for um, walk percentage is the 50% mark. So once you're past that, you look more, but you still have to look at the preseason total. And when you're before, you can look at what they've done. You just have to wait it. It's it's Bayes if you're familiar with stats. Like your your prior gets less important the sort of the the more information that you have going forward. So. I think that's commonly misunderstood. There's probably a great article about it. I'm going to Google it right now, um, and I will. I'll shout. I'll shout it out if there is. But Rears, why don't you go ahead and talk about uh, talk about the first player that's jumped out at you that has made some improvement this year? Um, I was kind of pleasantly surprised going through this list just because uh, I, I guess injuries was one of the big things. But uh, Travis Darno has considerably cut down his swings outside of the strike zone. He was never particularly high at that. He had a 28.1% rate last year, 
But this year, he's basically more than cut that in half. It's down to 13.7%. Now, for someone who is, you know, obviously in an OBP league, that sort of thing, this is actually translated from a slight to a slight jump in his on-base percentage. Again, that's just kind of intuitive. Oh, he's swinging at bad pitches less. He's being more picky at the plate. That's going to get you a few more walks. Now, it hasn't jumped up massively, because he was already, again, had, you know, pretty good discipline. He's at 8.6%, but now he's up in the double digits, right around 10%. And that looks to be a lot better. Now, that still doesn't do anything and calm my fears about, you know, injury potential and things like that. But a 10% walk rate from a catcher? Oh, I will take that every day and twice on Sundays, realizing full well that, you know, catchers don't play as often. So having a someone like that in your back pocket when they are playing, you know they're going to get on base, they're going to do well for you. That, to me, is just... It's fantastic. And I will note that that jump for Darno, Well, I should say, not jump, that cut is more accurate. That drop in O-swing percentage was actually the 10th highest so far in baseball. He dropped a full 14.4%. I think that's outstanding to me. Uh, was there anybody else that you were kind of eyeing? Because I could go on and on about different players here, Mike. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting list. Um, and at this point, I'm not really sure what to take away from it because, like you said about Darno, there's some there's some really exciting names on here that you think like, oh, wow, maybe this player's really taking a step forward. And then in third place is Juan Uribe. So <laughs> I'm not really sure what to take away from it, but I do think that it can be meaningful. Um, and it also makes me want to take a, make, make me want to take a longer look at Juan Uribe. Um, but the guy that jumps out at me is Yelich. Okay. Um, so Christian Yelich is, has the seventh highest difference in uh in O swing percentage and of the players he just isn't swinging the ball out of the strike zone. I mean I'm I'm scrolling down this list and except for Chase Utley who's one below him who Chase Utley I mean through his entire career has had a phenomenal batting eye. I mean Chase Utley was carrying four hundred plus OBPs his whole career until he got old. So to me it makes sense that Chase Utley's control of the strike zone is incredible. There, I can't find anybody. I'm gonna sort this. I'm gonna sort this column. I don't think, except for Utley, I don't think there's a single person um, with a lower. Yeah, Yelich is second in the league right now in O swing percentage. He just is not swinging at balls out of the strike zone. And last year he did it at about an average rate. But I think his his profile is taking a step forward in a lot of ways this year. And I think that that's that's a really good sign for Yelich owners. Um, I think because he's had a pretty hot start, uh, you're not going to get him right now. But if you own him, I'd be happy. And if you check in, maybe you can maybe you can see what it is, what it, what he's at. So, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, another player that I'm somewhat interested in that is definitely, well, no, he's most certainly a fringe player, and I think I mentioned this in a pre-show, is David Fries. Now, he's not going to do you any favors in, you know, a weekly league just because he's going to be very strictly platooned because he and Jaso have a nice thing going on at first base right now. But for any DFS listeners out there, anything like that, Freese is a great play when he's facing an opposite-handed pitcher. 
Uh, he has taken a pretty decent walk rate and pretty decent O-swing rate at 30.8% O-swing last year. And again, he's another guy who basically chopped it in half. He's down below 15%. It's just one of those things that, again, it's early, but we've always known that he could mash opposite-handed pitchers, so that isn't new information to me. But the gains, the degree of gains that he's made is at least eyebrow-raising for me. And again, super uninteresting player in almost any normal fantasy league, unless you play in, um, I don't know, 20-team NL-only dynasty or something like that. But I really like Freeze just as, you know what, got a string of players that he can hit against this week. Maybe I do pick him up this week for my league, or maybe I do play him a few times in my traditional league. Or worst-case scenario, I'll throw him in as a very cheap option in DFS. But that's just one of my, you know what, Freese has really caught my eye just because, again, he's in the top 10 for people who have cut down on their O-swing percentage this year compared to last year. What uh, What's your next boy up to? Are, are you going to circle back to uh, the infallible Odible Herrera just yet? Or is I, will, I will indeed. I just went back to his uh, Fangraphs page, and the quote at the top, the Rotowire News, um, by Evan Wiebeck of MLB.com has Herrera saying, I'm trying to be more patient each at bat, and that's giving me a lot of good results, so I'm going to keep trying to do it. Herrera was a Rule 5 guy last year, had to stay up, had a uh, had kind of a lot of, of questions. There's a lot of people that said, yeah, you can't do it, do this again. Um, had a 387 batting average on balls in play last year. That anybody that sees that's going to say, hey, this isn't going to happen again. But if his if his selectivity and his plate discipline does what it looks like it's doing currently, and if he is at least giving lip service to that being a goal and that being part of the process and not just something that's happening, to me that gives me a good sign that if you're in an OBP league, Odubel Herrera. Um, Rest of season OBPs are, are in the 320s or so, and that's not great. If that if you can bump that up and he's at 340 or 345, and he's he's on the plus side of his of the OBP category, then I think he's really going to help you. He we also have uh, a category. We've been talking about the difference in O swing percentage, but we've also been going by just straight walk percentage and Odubel Herrera by four percentage points has the highest difference in walk percentage of any player in the majors. Uh, he walked in 5.2% of his plate appearances last time, 22.7 so far this year uh, in O swing that's backed up here. He is where to go. He is 20th so far in, uh, in, in changing how much he swings outside of the strike zone at at 24.1%, which is around league average, but going from going from being really bad, which 35.4% last year of swinging at balls outside of the strike zone to league average is a big change. And if it's one that's sustainable, I mean, this is a leadoff hitter. This is a guy that's going to score a lot of runs. This is somebody that I think has a clear everyday job now and not going anywhere for the Phillies. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Odubel Herrera, and I have – Literally never said that before, so <laughs> I probably, learned something tonight. You know, tonight. tack on 20 steals, too, so that's, you know, that's not nothing. Especially I learned that I like Google Herrera. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm not sure how many times someone has ever said that, but uh, hey, <laughs> come here for first, folks. You heard it here first. Uh, I think that just about does episode four for us this evening. Um, again, my name is David Weirs. You can find me at Twitter, uh, although I can't imagine someone listening to this who doesn't follow Mike or I on Twitter, but I'm just at David Weirs. I'm very creative in that realm. Uh, Mike, be a good guy and tell them where the folks can find you at. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as well. I am Mike Long, PCVLR. Uh, that's Mike Long, Peace Corps Volunteer, Liberia, PCVLR. Um, it's actually and... the radio station he works at. Don't, don't lie. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Alright, this is David signing off here. Uh, Long, say goodbye to the good folks and we'll call it a day. Alright, y'all take care and hey, don't buy too much Brave stock. I took a look at it today, it's way down. <laughs> we'll see you next time. <laughs>